The Vincast, Australia's premier wine podcast, is proudly supported in part by Different Drop. Different Drop is an online wine retailer. They're based in Sydney, but they can uh, ship wines all over Australia, and they specialise in wines made by some exciting winemakers using innovative and sustainable practices. Now, just this past week in Sydney, I actually uh, popped into the guys at Different Drop and checked out their little setup. It's really cool. Uh, actually, used to be uh, music studios in there, so uh, apparently they keep having people kind of banging on their door and saying, you know, can I have a bash on the drums? Um, but they're actually really excellent storage conditions for the wines, and uh, it's some pretty, you know, if, if you're interested, if you're based in Sydney especially, you should uh, definitely sign up and go along to some of their masterclasses to actually get some of the winemakers, some of whom have actually been on the podcast, and you can go in and have a tasting and, and, and meet the winemaker, which is really awesome. It's a great way to actually learn more about the wines. So if you do go to Different Drop and buy some of the wines from previous guests of the podcast, make sure you use the URL www.differentdrop.com forward slash Intrepid Wino and you'll find some secret packs in there and make sure you put in the code Intrepid Wino at purchase and the guys at Different Drop will give you a, a special little discount as well. But uh, thank you Different Drop for your support of this podcast and please guys support the podcast and the guests of the podcast by buying wines from Different Drop. Episode 66 of the Vincast, I talk with Patrick Sullivan, a real game-changing winemaker who's making some really exciting and very different wines here in Victoria. We chat about his background and his, uh, his experiences and how it feeds into his philosophies about the kind of wines he wants to make. Hello there, Vincasters, and welcome to another episode of the Vincast. My name is James Scarsbrook, otherwise known as the Intrepid Wino. I uh, hope you enjoyed last week's episode with Mario Marson. Uh, it was great to see him and a number of other uh, Australian wine producers up in Sydney this past week for the Sydney Italian Wine Festival, and they really are championing uh, the alternative varieties, particularly Italian varieties here in Australia. And as you know, uh, I, I make no uh, secret about it, I love particularly Italian grape varieties, uh, and so it was uh, great to try some of those wines. And, uh, and of course, uh, coming up is the Australian Alternative Varieties Wine Show, uh, which is going to be fantastic. You know, it's always great to see uh, how much we're changing things in Australia, growing different varieties to better suit our our kind of environment. You know, maybe using more sustainable uh, varieties and practices, that kind of thing. So before I start this week's episode, I just want to quickly mention that uh, I lost, unfortunately, I lost someone very close to me this past week. It was my grandmother, Mary, who was very supportive, you know, very, very involved, wanted to know everything that uh, all of us were doing, you know, very proud of everything we did. Uh, and so I was very glad to have been able to to share with her in, in the past few years um, you know the the podcast and and more recently the YouTubing because uh, she, she thought it was uh, great everything we did and so I just wanted to to de- sort of dedicate this episode to my grandmother Mary and let her know that I I loved her and and will miss her. So this week's guest is Patrick Sullivan. If you don't know who Patrick is, he is a Victorian Victorian winemaker, uh, and he is really kind of 
rewriting the rule book as far as wines, making some very, very different styles that are kind of changing the discussion a little bit. And uh, it's really exciting to be able to talk with him about his influences, his experiences that kind of feed into the sort of exciting stuff that he's doing. So uh, we had a chat about his background uh, and it was fantastic. So uh, I hope you enjoyed this episode. Uh, please let us know if you did. Um, stick around to the end of the episode so you can find out how you get in contact with Patrick and I. But I'll see you on the other side. Patrick, thank you very much for joining me here in the Vincast studio today. Welcome. Thanks, James. Uh, and as you may know, I uh, tend to start every episode by asking my guest what, if they remember what their first interaction with wine was that actually set them on the kind of the path of following a career in wine. Uh, look, it was probably, it was probably, I mean, it wasn't my first interaction, but probably my path started with a, with Sneaking a bottle of Yemen were dreams and uh, Jacques Celos when I was when I was eighteen and didn't really know what they were. But where did you sneak those different. from? Uh, you know, I, I was I was a backpacker working in a uh, pretty fancy wine shop in in London, and um, sometimes we had some pretty good staff knockoffs. Yeah, I'd say so. Uh, yeah, I was pretty lucky. I think I think there'd be a lot of people listening to this episode thinking sell-offs, knockoffs. When is that going to happen? Oh, uh, let's just say maybe knock-off, sell-offs. <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's just keep it like that. Let's, let's just say that's before we had really good so that's, uh, computers that's, and stock takes. So. That's a pretty good intro. Yeah, it was a really good intro. It was, it was an interesting intro because uh, when when I the, the way that I come about wine was was seeing those those things first and. And you know, I hadn't experienced Chardonnay, and and you know, to the to the depths probably what what, what I have now. And you know, it c- certainly set me on a path which is slightly askew to the square. So, what uh, what actually brought you to London? Um, well, we I just decided it was a good idea. I didn't, I, you know, I was I was eighteen and decided, you know, like you know, the vast majority of. The uh, young Australian population. We, I just packed my bags with a few mates and, and went over. Um, I was pretty green. I didn't even realise you really needed a visa until a couple of days before that, and I, I just sort of booked my flights and and, and left and, and come back you know, almost a couple of years later. So, you mean a visa to work? Yeah, I didn't even didn't even, stay for long. I didn't didn't months. even know there was such thing as a visa to go to work. Some it was only a friend told me I should get one, so I drove up to Canberra and got one. Right, that's <laughs> lucky. Back back then, I don't know if you still can do it, but we. We got one in, you know, half a day. So, it was good. Um, and where whereabouts did you grow up? Uh, all over country <clears throat> Victoria. I'm, I'm well and truly Victorian, but you know, I was born in Bendigo in central Victoria. But you know, I, I travelled a lot um, uh, as a child, and you know, spent lengths of time in, in Heathcote on a farm, and, and spent time, you know, in, in you know the western districts and and uh, the Golden Valley. What were your fa- What did your family do? Um, my father ran rural hospitals. That was oh what he okay. Did. So medical, uh, yeah. So he must have liked wine then. Uh, he did. I, my <laughs> father just likes drinking. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know that's what I was getting at. <laughs> yeah, he, 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 yeah, he can go pretty hard when he needs to. Yeah. <laughs> did they drink much wine or just? Yeah, I guess you know they did. They did mainly red wine at home. Mm-hmm. Um, um, yeah. So that's 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 what we had. We you know always got to taste. Wine and, and being a Heathcote, we were in Heathcote um, during that kind of boom time when, 
when Heathcote, you know, everything Heathcote was great and, mm. you know, these sort of wines were coming along that were getting the big Parker points and, sure. and really making an impact. So maybe your that. Jasper Hills, your duck, your duck yeah, marks, that kind of thing. Those guys, those guys. So, you know, Heathcote was really going through a boom. Let's plant everything when, when I was there between the ages of 10 and 15 and, and we were living um, on a property um, just, in, just near Jasper Hill actually. And, and um, yeah, that's maybe that was, you know, what ingrained you know, or what gave me the idea to to go down that path, I'm not sure. And who did the cooking at home? Mum. My mum did the cooking at Is she a good cook? Uh, I, I sometimes say this when I, when I talk to groups. You know, your mother's cooking's a funny thing. Is it? It's always it's always tasty, but is it is it good because it is actually good, or is it good because you know that she loves you and wants to nourish you? I think it's a really funny thing. But that's like the Italian thing that no matter how good the restaurant is, no. I think I think even. Um, Massimo Bottura said that on uh, on the episode of Chef's Table. He said that you know the Italian mentality, particularly for guys, is no no cooking will, will be as good as mum's cooking. Oh, and I can completely understand that. I can kind of I can kind of <laughs> get where it comes from because you, yeah, you're eating something else, aren't you? You're eating, you're eating you're eating life, I guess. So um, how did you find living in London, particularly at uh, a fairly uh, green stage in your life? It was great. Um, uh, yeah, I lived in a look. I, was it just sort of to experience and be close to Europe and, and was working in a wine shop just kind of a job? Yeah, well, I was, yeah, it was, it was a job. No, it was something I was, I was, I was really interested in and I'd worked in bars and, you know, you know, before I left for six months and I, I was, I was always, well, ever since, you know, I started at 16, I started drinking wine, not in a serious way, but just because I, I enjoyed it mm-hmm. more than, more than most. Um, and then you know I collected things and 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 was really interested in the history behind it and, and how it all come together and I, and I guess I just followed that path and then I applied for a, a temp role over over Christmas and then and then um yeah and then that's 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 how it took me down that down that road and, and I just kept learning and and tasting and learning and talking to people and I had a lot of really strong people around me that taught me lots of things about wine and um yeah and then. That's just how it happened. I mean, it was a pretty cool place to work for an 18-year-old in London. Absolutely. Um, you know, and, and trying some really wonderful things. How, what, what kind of opportunities did you have to go out and, and sort of taste stuff and talk to people? Uh, all the time. Like, we were, we were, we were um, you know, we, we were pretty high-end. So, you know, we got to drink all sorts of things, you know, first growths and, you know, top right, cognac and, and Grand Cruz and, you know, you got to experience all that, but also... Also, a lot of fun Australian stuff as well. Stuff you know, older Vat ones and things like that. Things sure. that are really quite important to Australian, to wine, Australian history. wine history. Yeah, yeah. And and it was it's pretty funny because you, you come to Australia and and most people they they talk about these wines because they feel they have to and they have a reverence to anything European. Even the wines bad, it's still better because it's European. Where. Right. When I was learning about wine in London, it was, this is, you know, it's a world stage here. It doesn't matter whether it's Australian, it doesn't matter whether it's European, it's just good wine. And when somebody's putting a bottle of old that one on the table and showing you um, how wonderful a wine can be and you put it up against a top flight burn, you're like, you know what, I like I like the that one better because it doesn't taste like fucking wood. So, Do you know what I find interesting? I think that what something that plays into that kind of mentality is that sort of tall poppy syndrome in Australia where something that is had great success and has been at the top for so long and overseas is recognized as great 
we kind of go, oh yeah, yeah, it's all, it's all right, yeah, but that's not for me. I want to, I want to do something, you know, different, different, cool, that kind of thing. Yeah, it's sort of like, yeah, it, it's like, like with music and like even I think I don't know. Do you get the feeling that people kind of like, yeah, Hugh Jackman, he's pretty good, but overseas, everyone loves him. Yeah, no, exactly. Look, I think there's a, there's a couple of things that are pretty active, especially in the Australian wine scene. Obviously, there is that tall poppy thing, and there is a lot of people that are scared of things that are different as well. And uh, it, th- those are the two extremes, though. I think pe- people you got some people who only want change, and some people who are terrified of change. Uh, yeah, and you know, you get you get in when when you go to somewhere like London that's so big and diverse and with such a deep wine culture um, that's shared by many people of many facets over a very wide space, you know, and it's okay to have an opinion. It's okay to, to see things in a different light. So you, you do see things in a really true light, mm. where in Australia you tend to, and I was only reading an article this morning, you tend to have a bit of a boys' club that, that uh, you know, especially in written media, that, that talks up things that aren't necessarily great. But I think part of the reason that it's different in the UK is that they're not a producing country. They don't yes. have that kind of establishment that we... that every other one producing country would be yeah. where there's sort of an expectation or like like the, a belief that you should be supporting the local product. Yeah. And, and, and so there's kind of a, a part of the industry that sort of just continues to feed into that. No, absolutely. And I think and that's what such is so wonderful and so difficult about London because you're not you're not judged on who you are or what you do. You're, you're judged purely on what's in the glass. And you're you competing know? with everyone. And you're competing with everybody. Yeah. And that's a really nice place to be. So if you succeed it's to- there... It, it's much more can... egalitarian and, and, and democratic. And people aren't, you know, people... A story is still kind of cool, but what's really important is what's in the glass because yeah. I want a great glass of wine. I don't care what you tell me about it. I just want a really great glass of wine because I know what that is. Sure. Where in Australia there's a lot of attachments to this or the other. So not necessarily all the time. Are you, are you people, people sometimes drink to go on a holiday not to taste what's in a glass. Do you think that like points and awards, medals, that kind of thing plays into the wine choices in the UK as much as it does in say, you know, Australia or the United States? Uh, look, I think um, it's it's a it's a really funny thing. You look at the states, and obviously opinion and, and, and points is, is a really important thing. Um, uh, in the UK, it's not. I mean, they read a lot of literature. They read a lot of what you know what what people recommendation. Are I'm not about. talking about recommendation. I'm talking about like just, oh, points, just points and awards. No, awards. no, no. It doesn't yeah. doesn't doesn't matter. Uh, not 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 even in the slightest. Um, endorsement is endorsement, but you know endorsement like, endorsement, but but third party endorsement anywhere you go is always sure. important. But in sure. the UK, as far as points and and an award system, no, it doesn't because people know what they they want to drink, and if they want to be taken on an adventure, they'll tell you they want to be taken on an adventure. They sure. They don't come in with their with their book saying, I want to, this is, this points, and this has got this medal, I want to drink this. It just doesn't happen. Sure. And that was, and that was a really funny thing, like in, when I'd moved back, you know, from, from the UK, I'm used to selling wine in the UK, and the way that you sold it, so you sold it on what it was, and the merits of what it was. And then you come back to Australia, and there's someone walking around in your wine shop with a book, with a list of, this is what I want to have. Yeah. It's, it's really, really different. Yeah. Um, but to be fair though, like when I first started getting into wine, um, you know, and I was going out to wine regions, visiting wineries, I would use, use the wine companion yeah. as a reference for what is considered to be of good quality. Yeah. I wasn't necessarily looking at what wines were supposed to be really good, but, but really just that five star rating could go, okay, these are the best of the region. Let's yeah. hit up those. And, yeah. and it's a good way to start. But, but, you know, I, I had the same experience when I worked in wine retail. 
uh, and still sort of have that experience that, you know, a wine that gets huge points or, or wins a trophy or something like that, next day you have customers calling up their, their retailer and saying, I need you to secure me some of this wine. Yeah, exactly. And it's not until you sit on the other side of the fence when you're, when you're selling the stuff and, and you realise that, yes, retail is important to a point, but, you know, where I definitely sell most of my wines through restaurants, and sure, of course. you have nobody. How often do you get it? It's also it's also where you would probably be introduced to more wine as well. Exactly, and that's when you and you, and you go to a restaurant for 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 a experience and a journey. So you're not going to sit there and want to know what the guy in the paper said about sure, the sure. wine. You want to know what they're saying about the wine because it's going to work with their food. And I think in general that kind of works in a restaurant. So you know, it's it's a really it, it, it is a funny thing, the the point and award thing. I mean, uh, has its place, but I don't, I don't know if I'm in kind of in that. It's a bit more corporate. Do you sure, know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah, I it's, it's, it's sometimes, sometimes getting um, getting a five star rating or a or a, or a medal is a way for a corporate marketer to keep his job. So, yeah, or or a, or a certain customer to be able to. All right, we'll give you, you know. <laughs> Nice placement in the shop. You have to give us a better deal now. Exactly. So that's just that's just the way it kind of all works. So you spent two years in London. Was the whole time working in the wine shop? Uh, uh, no, I had work- some various jobs. I I was um had one job that they they gave me a tin of antifreeze and I had to scrub chewing gum off the you know those metal plate kind of things on the floor. So I was yep. freezing and scraping chewy off. Um, that was a good one. And then I, I was a cook in a pub, um, you know. Long story how I got that one, but that was, <laughs> and then then I went and worked in the. Was wine alcohol shop. involved? No, it was because I was oh. young and and male, and the guy who hired me really liked firemen. Anyway, a long long story. <laughs> but, um, okay, I won't get into any more into that uh, one. But uh, but yeah, no, that was and then then, then I went along the. And then yeah, then I went and worked at the wine shop, and that's really where I stayed for, for you know most of the time. And whilst you were living over there, did you did you get to travel into Europe much? Uh, yeah, I, I travelled a bit. It wasn't necessarily for you know for wine. The only really wine trip that I did or wanted to do, I went to Jerez. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah, and did that for my twenty first birthday and spent some some time down there because they were the I don't know why I just always liked Sherry. So I went down there and hung out there for ten days. Had an amazing time. So that that was kind of cool. But really, you know, I didn't really do a heap of other wine travel when I was there. Just you know, seeing the sights, I guess. And when you came back to Australia, what what was sort of the the plan? Did you want to? I, I, did, you, did you know at that point that you kind of wanted to continue a career in the wine yeah, industry? Yeah, no, I'd come back to study winemaking, um, of which I went and moved to Adelaide and did the first year. So pretty, I got off the plane and then had Christmas and then took off again and moved moved across to Adelaide and and uh, did my first year of, of well, which is a common year with viticulture of enology and at um, Adelaide Uni. Yeah, it's now combined, isn't it? It is combined. It is combined, which is probably a smart move i ended up just doing the viticultural stream mm-hmm. but um but yeah it, it is combined now i think it's four years and combined mm-hmm. yeah which is great i think it's really good i think it's really good because um you know a lot of the guys that did the winemaking you know are pretty lost um because they don't have a, a great you know understanding of the other side so i think it's really good that they brought them together i think that's what it needed and i was surprised that it took so long yeah to do so I guess it, it's sort of there's less of that vineyard mentality in Australia at the end of the day. Yeah, the there biz, is. The business is more for you're the viticulturist, you're the winemaker. Yeah, work together, but you, you know you're not necessarily involved with the other person's job. Yeah, and I guess that's that's the really exciting part about seeing these. You know, 
especially in Victoria where there is a group of young people coming through doing things and, and they're very focused on owning a vineyard as well as making the wine mm. and not really interested on having a corporate job and doing making some little bit of wine for myself part-time. You know, mm. people are really focused on this is what I want to do. I mm. want to have my own place. Mm-hmm. You know, I want to grow grapes, I want to make wine and that's that's the, the real story. Mm-hmm. So... Um did you did you finish the the viticulturally? Yeah, yeah, I, mean, I finished viticulture. Did um, you get a lot out of it? Yeah, I got a lot out of it. I really, I mean, I, I kind of took off on a different stream towards the the final year, um, but yeah, I got I got a great deal out of it. I got a really good understanding of of what happens, you know, how to how to look at a plant, how to understand a plant, how to how to understand what's wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, that's most that's that's you know ninety percent of the story. If if you can get that right, then everything else is okay. Um, you know, and especially if I'm going out, because in, in in Australia it's pretty expensive to buy land. So everyone that wants to start making some wine ends up buying some fruit from somewhere. So sure, sure. Being able to walk out into a vineyard and say, yeah, that's a good place to buy some fruit from, and that's probably not um, purely by by being able to assess the terrain and the, the viticulture. It's it's a, it's a nice thing. Well, that's a good spot to actually plant a vineyard. Exactly. Which you know you you, you drive through parts of you know major parts of victoria and you're like why would anyone want to plant a vineyard there but yeah that's where there's a lot of vineyard planted so yeah you know i think it's it's a bit of a learning experience but um i think understanding plant nutrition and, and the way vine works really, really we, helps were you working whilst you were studying as well yeah yeah i was working in a wine shop in in adelaide which um, one melbourne street oh yeah okay so so i worked there for uh two years two yep. two and a half years yeah yeah very very parochial. Lots of lots of South yeah, Australian wines. Yeah, very. Which which I think is really beautiful because um, you know there was really close relationships with with the producers. You know, you'd meet the guys dropping off their wine, um, and you meet a lot of the winemakers and what they've done. A lot of young guys too that that was like, wow, I can't wait to kind of be doing that. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that, that was really really good to see strong support for for that Australian. You know, most of it, most of the wine in there was 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 South Australian, which was wonderful. Yeah, of course. Um, so what was the, the next step after finishing the degree? Um, well, I come back, um, I come back to, to Melbourne to study statistics. So I was doing, uh, risk. So I was doing postgrad into, into, um, basically someone for insurance companies that calculates lots of statistics to give you a, a number that says whether you're going to like Edward Norton's character in Fight Club? Uh, I haven't seen that movie. You haven't seen Fight Club? No, I'm not real good with movies. Gee, I'm sure if I can catch it. I've got a pretty a pretty rough attention span. I can only do, <laughs> I can only do series. Okay. <laughs> Half an hour blocks. Yeah. Um, you ask my wife, I'm, you put a movie on, I'm 20 minutes in and I'm asleep. So. All right. Yeah, um, anyway. Um, so, yeah, I was doing stats, um, doing that, and, uh, and kind of did a year of that. And then I just needed a break. So, I mean, it was pretty full on. So, um, a friend of mine, Bill, said, can I work on my farm? So, I was working on his vineyard. I'd been, tra- I'd met Bill, I'd been traveling down that way. Um, my father at the time was working in, uh, in 2010 when I first started going down there. He was working in East Gippsland. And I did, when I was at Adelaide, I did my university assignment on this little place called Allenbank because it had a, had a research has a big research institute there and it uh, has very good climate data. Yeah. And the soil is what I believe to be really great for growing grapes. So I just wanted to know who was growing grapes near Allen Bank and that's how I met Bill. Right. And um, he said, oh, well, I need some help in the vineyard. So I started working in his vineyard for kind of the, the 
the growing season of 2020 and 2011. Mm-hmm. Now, just to make it clear, we are talking about Bill Downey. Yeah, that's right. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, and obviously, you know, he's been on the podcast and yep. other guests have sort of talked about how, you know, incredible he is about his sort of knowledge, particularly in terms of sustainable yeah. viticulture. It must yeah. have been pretty pretty awesome to sort of yeah, it was be cool. starting with him. It was cool to go out and work in, you know, man, there's vineyards in these vineyards, you know. Um, you go work in a 200-acre vineyard and it gets pretty pretty boring and monotonous. And I used to, I used to be like, ah, oh, and... Why, why don't I like working in vineyards? Like this is this is not fun. I, I like plants, but this isn't fun. And this then you is go just work. A job. Then you go work in a in a vineyard that's got never had a chemical on it. It's just beautiful um, in in every possible way. And mm. and you're like, I don't really want to leave this place. I'm I'm pretty happy just to walk around this. Full stop. This is this is amazing. So, you know, I think it, it taught me more about the, the different levels of respect that somebody can have or vineyard can have mm. for a place or or, or, or a vineyard. So, um, that's that's really something that that I, I I got heaps out of that. I got in the short time that I was working in that vineyard, I got an amazing amount out out of that because when you're working with something every day, you really feel quite connected to to the space and the vines and, and what, what's happening and you know everything that's happening in there and it feels mm. like. You know, a little little place where where you, you could quite happily be. Yeah. So, how, how did what what way did you sort of apply that experience, that knowledge that you'd gained? Um, well, I, I just I knew straight from there that I couldn't really um, viticulturally work for for a big business or yeah. a big business. I just would never work. Something um, you weren't passionate about. I just couldn't be passionate about that at all. I was, mm-hmm. wasn't passionate in the slightest about working in a big vineyard. Um, so. So then I just set some pretty stern goals to try and get my own farm and my own vineyard and, and how I was going to go about and get that. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, from then on, I went and worked with Bill, obviously, at Thousand Candles for a couple of years. And mm-hmm. then, and then um, you know, as luck would have it, I managed to buy my little piece of dirt in Allenbank. So, right. Yeah. So um, when did you sort of start the Patrick Sullivan Wines sort of journey? How, um, how did you start that? Oh, started, did you have any experience with winemaking before then? Yeah, I started making, you know, obviously I'd been in and out of wineries quite often. I started making a little bit of wine in 2010, um, just a tiny bit of Shiraz from Heathcote because that's where I knew. And then um, I started in 2011, I made a little bit more. And then 2012 was when I just started stepping it up a little bit. The 2012 was when I started doing things like, you know, jumping juice and breakfast wine. And, and obviously I was working on a little one from Britannia Creek for then, then as well. And then, uh, you know, 2013 and 2014, and obviously the progression went on. And then then uh, pretty much twenty from 2014, the harvest, which was pretty dismal but still had enough fruit, I um, managed to, you know, work it independently. That's, that's, that's all I do. So as far as um, the making of the wine, yeah. um, how did you kind of come upon the, the particular path that the Patrick Sullivan wines have, you know, you would have been introduced to wines of a certain style, yeah. you know, European wines or, you know, new world wines, whatever. Yeah. Uh, you know, where did you sort of take inspiration about how you wanted to express your own kind of product as it were? You, look, out of everything else, anything but wine, you know, wine has been, has been pretty stale in Australia for a long time. And I have some really good friends in South Australia that are pushing boundaries in a certain way. And, um, you know, I'd, I'd known them since the start. I mean, when I was at Melbourne Street, I was Anton, James Erskine and I were Anton's first customers from Lucy Mago, you know. So we, so I'd, I'd understood what was going on there and, 
that wasn't really my path. I didn't want to that, but I understood that side of things. And mm-hmm. then I, I looked at what, 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 what wine was, but what is great wine? I mean, what, what is it? It's usually something that there's usually, if, if you talk to people, people that really know, great wine is something that's, that's uncharted and it's unique mm-hmm. and it's, um, you know, it's it's unparalleled and it's not it in no way emulates anything else. Right. And that's what great wine is. So, in in especially in Australian wine, we're always trying to emulate other things. You know, and you know, you 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 see the the, the industry icons and they all go and judge Australian wine, but they drink Burgundy the entire time. So. How, how and they complain that sommeliers aren't listing enough Australian wines in their list. <laughs> exactly, it's, it's the most ridiculous thing. Um, so, so how how was I going to go about it? Well, what what I thought was, how can I try and do something that was that was unique, and and how could I think about things in a different way? And then I kind of thought, well, why don't I just do everything the same? Why not? Why not I just get grapes in? It doesn't matter, irrespective of what they are. Uh, I'll do my best to get a single vineyard and do it all the same, but. Ferment things in a way um, that is is completely about the character of where they're from. You know, uh, you know, if say for instance the wine breakfast wine, it is um, fully exposed northern site that's that gets heaps of sun, so it should taste like sun. Now, sure. if I if pressed that off pretty early, I was going to get a high alcohol kind of insipid sablong. But when you give it, you know, some stalks and a little bit of maceration, all of a sudden you get something that's quite balanced. Um, so I, I wanted to, uh, you know, and I wanted to to understand how to make wines um, in, in a way that was really kind of raw but true. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, pretty simple, simple but structured and, and textured. I didn't, you know, white my whites are a little bit lighter, and my my whites are my whites are a little bit heavier. My my reds are a little bit lighter, but they're they're, they're somewhere in the middle. I'm trying to work out when when does when do you when when can you extract the most from what you've got, mm-hmm. and when do you extract too much so it so it disappears from so so what you're actually trying to do disappears. Mm. So you know I could never understand why do you press a white grape off and throw it away. Sure, you know um, because you, you you're throwing out what's in the skin and the skin. You know, there's so many flavors and there's so many so so many different different things going on in the skin that you that you want to keep. But at the same time, you don't want to make an orange wine because I like to drink orange wines, but they all taste the same. So, um, how, how do you how do you and and you know? I actually yeah, on that point, <coughs> I know that's possibly going to come as a bit of a surprise to some of my listeners. But um, with a lot with orange wine, I kind of think of that as <coughs> a little bit interventionist. I think yeah. it's a winemaker sort of saying what the wine should be rather than sort of speaking as to... Because if you look at, like, you know, some of the really good examples that I think of, particularly in places like Friuli, um, you know, the, the skin is imparting a part of the wine. It's, you know, it's, it's sort of... It's, it's, it's a it's technique. Texture orange and, and, wine, in that essence, is a technique and a style. It's still delicious, but it's not a wine. It's not a wine of... of um, it's, it's not a wine of... Uh, terroir. Terroir and complexity. I mean, yeah. the wines are really good. I love to drink them. And but I think I think the, with all the with all the orange wines coming out now, you know, from from all over the world, really, that are coming from so many different places, but are so are tasting sort of somewhat similar, similar. It is sort of showing you well, as long as you get things right in the vineyard, you can actually create this style of wine yeah. in the cellar. Yeah, exactly. And you know, same as same as white burgundy, you just buy the same barrels as they do and get a neutral white. And Bordeaux, you got white burgundy. <laughs> yeah, but, um, yeah. I think um, 
Yeah, that, that, I'm certainly not trying to make orange wines. I don't want I, the color might be a little bit orange, but my wines don't taste like orange wines. It's not as a, as a standard. I don't want but to do that. In that whole kind of concept of a low intervention where there's nothing added, nothing taken away. Yeah, you think of like by just pressing the the white grapes and just fermenting their juice, you're taking something away because you're taking a part of you yeah. know what's so great, so nourishing about the, exactly. the grapes. By removing the skins completely. So making orange wine and making stock standard white wine for me is the same. Sure. You know, I might like to drink one more than the other, but for me it's 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 the same. Yeah. What I think you want to do is is get a grape in, whether it's red or white or pink or whatever, and you want to ferment it in a way that you you think you've extracted the most you can mm-hmm. without taking anything away, without yeah. losing something. Or adding too much. Losing the fineness of what it is. Yeah. And that's kind of... My philosophy on winemaking is pretty straightforward like that. Um, I don't want to, with the red wine, I don't want to leave it on skins too long because it'll go dry and have a sweet centre. I don't yeah. want that. Which is really hard in Australia because, you know, the way that our sun works and the way that the ground is, you generally end up with wines that are dry around the outside and sweet in the centre. So that's something that you've got to think about and you've got to try and work with. How do you, how do you, how do you work in your vineyard and work in, in the cellar mm. to get a wine which is well-rounded and well-placed? When you were um, based in Adelaide, did you get the opportunity to head up into like the basket range and head up to yeah, you yeah. Know, the Barossa and visit yeah, Tom no. and stuff like that? I, I was well. Tom, Tom and I we were working in a vineyard together. We were at Naringa. And, yeah, okay. And that's how we met one day. Yeah. Um, he asked me about some wines in Italy, and I fired back and goes, "Oh, you know them?" And then we started talking, and that's how Tom and I met. We we're on the opposite side of a vine. That's. So yeah, I knew Tom, and we bought his Kindred wines as well. Spirits. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, so we, we that's how we met. But um, yeah, no, I, I was I was getting around a bit to try heaps of different bits and pieces. Um, I was trying as much as I could from the hills. Um, kind of Anton was the only one living in Basket Range at that stage. Yeah, sure. So I mean, obviously, I got up to see him because I was buying wines for for the shop back in Adelaide. And this is in two thousand and eight or two thousand and two thousand and eight. I started doing that, and yeah. then um. And then, uh, you know, obviously, um, yeah, traveling around. I knew James um, from because he was working in a restaurant, so he wasn't making wine then. So, um, yeah, just, uh, yeah, I, I met those guys. But also, you know, I used to like to get up to Ashton Hills. I really loved mm-hmm. um, drinking those wines. Uh, they're, they're fantastic. So I used to go up and, and, and uh, taste there when I could and used to get up to the Brosser, obviously. I mean, the Brosser is one of the most wonderful places you know it's it's a proper wine region it's got a great restaurants great produce and really amazing grapes and when it's done well there's nothing else like it it's it's an an amazing place so i used to try and get up there whenever i could Mm. um yeah so where were you actually making the wines initially initially um initially i was working in a it was a kiwi fruit grower in the Upper Yarra Valley, so I was making the wines in that shed for a while, and then I made wines um, uh, in a shed at Thousand Candles, and then um, and then now I've got my place. I've, I'm making the wines at home. Um, so you, you obviously you bought a, a property. In, yeah, yeah. In bought East a Gippsland. Bought a place in in Allenbank, in West Gippsland. Um, West Gippsland, sorry. Yeah, bought a place there. and Moved in just before Christmas, so we're really happy there, and we'll mm-hmm. see we'll see what happens. Um, and what what sort of the idea with with the the property? Are you thinking about planting a vineyard? Yourself? Yeah, we'll start planting vines uh, next. Hopefully, we get a couple in the ground um, this year, but most of it will start planting next year in September. Mm-hmm. It's just the way you when you order your vines, you got to wait you know the eighteen month period to get your to get to get the vines. So um, 
so they'll be coming the following September. So yeah, we'll start getting vines on the ground and and things up and running. I'm putting in a you know at the moment I've just got dirt floors, so I'm putting in a little bit more of a sophisticated winery mm -hmm. this year as well. So we're just trying to put everything I've got back into the property um, and, and stay there as much as possible if I can. Mm. But it's going to be interesting to sort of see how you know that side is going to express itself and how you know what kind of wines you might be able to get out of it. Yeah, I think so. It's a, it's a really you know it's it's a very undulated site and mm -hmm. and um, you know it's if as far as southern you know southwestern Gippsland is concerned, it's got some some altitude. So um, I think I think it'll be a lot of fun just to see where it goes. And you know it's a lovely place to live. And that part of the world's you know you got lots of rain and beautiful soils and. Everything grows all the time. You know, mm. things grow all year round. You never get a period where they don't. So, it's pretty. It's pretty amazing. It must be exciting to sort of be heading towards that proper vineyard kind of. It is. Yeah, thing. it's it's amazing. I mean, why would you want to if 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 you're not heading down that path and you're really only doing half the job, you know, or you, or you're just doing it, you know, temporarily. Yeah, it's not. It's not really for me anyway. A lot of other people might see it differently, but for me. You can't do one and not the other. It's just, you know, you, you never push yourself far enough to really see what you can do. Like, mm. you know, when you're doing the full story, that's, it's, you know, that's what you have to do. There's, there mm. isn't really any other option. Sure. And um, you're not just making wine, you're also still doing a bit of buying, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, I travel around a bit. I do, um, I, I buy wine for. A UK European based company called Le Cave de Perrin. So I'd, I'd buy, take care of their Australian portfolio, um, of well, actually North America and New Zealand as well. Okay. And, um, so buying some of the, 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 the newer stuff, for, um, you know, the, the new Australian stuff, I guess, the, the way Australia is pushing the, the new wave, as they call it on the UK. So you're here to keep your finger on the pulse. Yeah, but also, I mean, also try and do try and do a good job of marketing what we are doing in Australia. We don't really have a proper, you know, we don't have a marketing body really in Australia that pushes Australian wine. So, well, I would disagree with that. Well, who there's, we a, got? there's a there's a marketing body that pushes a certain certain <laughs> yes. Australian wine, yeah, but that, and, you know, and then you've got obviously big companies who are pushing their wine yeah but there but there is no real like the, and unfortunately if the situation is that you know there are so many small producers how many other there's like maybe two or three thousand producers there's in australia a, now a lot. yeah um but what 80 85 percent is made by six to ten companies yeah and that's and that's and, the... and and any kind of organizational body whether it's you know industry or whether it's governmental is going to be servicing the needs of the 85% rather than the 15%. Yeah, and exactly. But that's purely on volume. They're not talking about individual people, which is really what we should be working with. I understand the volume thing, but that's not really doing us any favours. Um, you know, what we need is is wines back in restaurants and wines back in high-end restaurants, which has really been lacking for some time. So, you know, we're just over there pushing what we do and... You know? And I, I disagree. I think one of the, the one one argument that's made by certain wine, you know, media, uh, that 
you know, the Australian wines that are going onto some of these lists, you know, like they're faulty or they're just not what I consider to be of high quality, that kind of thing. But but at least it's sort of changing the, the discussion. At least it's getting people talking and sort of saying, well, what is wine? What is Australian wine? You know, what is quality wine? If if, if I enjoy this and if my customers enjoy this, doesn't that make it good wine? But I think, and exactly, I think we've got to, you know, we've got to forget about talking about is it right, is it wrong? What we've got to talk about is it selling? And I think that's the, that's the really most important part. Are people drinking it? And are they buying a second bottle? Yeah. And that's really what's happening. You know, we're, we're selling quite a bit of wine into Europe now, especially into Paris. And it's, that's exciting. It's, it's, it's really exciting. And that's I don't exciting. think there's any, ever been anything, any, any, anything as exciting, um, to happen for Australian wine in the last 20 years. I yeah. mean, I, I always look back at the guys like Jeff Merrill that worked their ass off and pushed what they were doing really, really hard into the UK. And they're, they're industry pioneers. They've done more. In, for any, than anyone else, those guys uh, for for Australian wine because they got in there, rolled their sleeves up, and worked, and just and just you know. But they also went. Their they went there and they they said to people, "What do you want? What do you like?" Yeah, and 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 let's make that let's and let's give, that. give give it to them for the right price, and yeah. that, and that's where the success came from. And I guess that's what we're kind of do, doing. We're 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 going over there twice a year and and finding out what's going on, what are people into, how, what what's happening, tasting, and mm-hmm. and. And saying, well, okay, we can do this because in Australia we can do what we like. We're not conf- we're not confined by laws and regulations. We can just go and do stuff. So, but I also like the doing. idea of changing the the industry's perception as well because you know when I was traveling around Europe and and meeting winemakers and stuff like that, and particularly like young winemakers, they might have been still still studying, and the idea was to go on. You know, I want to go and work overseas as well. You know, when I I would say, oh, where do you want to go? They go, oh, maybe South America or New Zealand. I said, what about Australia? No. Australian wine's boring, <laughs> yeah. and I was like, "Oh my god, we 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 have to kind of introduce people to these this new wave of wine." You know, like I took a bottle of um of Tom's 2012 Sepultura uh, Syrah, so wonderful, and one. then and then I took um is it the the Pinot the Ford Tom? Oh, good morning, Tom. Good morning, Tom. Yeah, I, I took those two wines at different at different points in time <laughs> to my friend Jacopo, a former yeah. guest of the podcast, who was you know a wine writer in Italy. Yeah, and he was blown away. He said, "Oh my God, I, I never thought Australian wine could be like this because yeah. there is this very set perception, and people aren't particularly interested in changing that perception." No, they're not because you know that's what they've done, and most of them sit in jobs that you know that that work to corporates, and, and that, that's what they want at the end of the day, and that's cool, but. You know, and they can keep on doing that. But I'm in the wine business, and in the wine business, I've got to sell wine sure. to make a living. Sure. So I'm not going to sit there and go, well, this isn't correct. I'm going to say, well, I'm going to sell wine because um, that's what I'm in this business to do. So, but at the same time, you're not making, you know, millions and millions of cases to, that happen to please a lot of people. No. You're going like, I, I make this particular kind of wine. I love it, and there are people who love it, and that's great. Yeah, and I'm not trying to, you know, push push any any agenda i'm just i just want to make something that's unique you know yeah. something that's that's you know some that, that has its own place because why do i want to make another filtered white chardonnay from the yarrow because everyone else does it and sure. you know all of a sudden as soon as i do that i've got competition i'm just going to do something that's unique that's yeah. that's that's me you yeah. know so and then i don't have any competition <laughs> That's great. Well, thank you very much, Patrick, for uh, for joining me today. Um, Thanks for having me. What are the ways that people can um, find out more information about you know your wines and follow what you're doing with, on social media, that kind of thing? Yeah, I, I use Instagram kind of every now and again, and by the end of the month, I should have a uh, new website up. So check that out. 
So Instagram is at Patrick Sullivan. Patrick Sullivan Wine. Patrick Sullivan Wine. Yeah. And the website will be... PatrickSullivan.com.au. There's one there at the moment, but it doesn't say much. Just a landing page. Yeah. Well, fantastic. But um, if you can get your hands on them, guys, jump out and grab, you know, see if you can get some Patrick Sullivan wines and, you know, tell us what you think. If, do you agree with pa- what Patrick's saying? Um, you know, do you enjoy them? And, w- and if you do, then tell us why. Thanks a lot. <laughs> and thank you guys for listening to another episode of the Vincast. I have been James Scaresbrook, otherwise known as the Intrepid Wino, and you can follow me on social media on Instagram and Twitter. I'm at Intrepid Wino. On Twitter, you can find the podcast at the Vincast. Facebook.com forward slash Intrepid Wino is my Facebook page. So come and give me a like and, uh, and check out some of the stuff I do there. Uh, you can also subscribe to my YouTube channel, which is Intrepid Wino, all one word. And you'll find all of my let's taste sort of live and off the cuff tastings there, including some upcoming live events, which is going to be fantastic. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Player FM, or a number of other uh, podcast hosting uh, apps. And um, and if you do subscribe to the podcast, it means you get the episode as soon as it becomes available. And please, I would love for you to give me a rating and a review. It really, really does help me get the podcast out to a, a wider audience and uh, provide some feedback, not just to myself, but also to other potential listeners about how much you might enjoy the podcast. Of course, all the information can be found at intrepidwino.com, including every episode of the podcast, all of the videos, uh, lots of different writings that I've done in the past, and uh, and that, that way you can get in contact with me. You can send me an email at thevincast at gmail.com. Uh, more exciting guests coming up very soon, and pretty soon I'll be uh, heading over to, to Sardinia for three weeks, which is really awesome, but I'll make sure that I've got some episodes to cover whilst I'm away. But uh, until next time, 